today. And one of my favorite things, speaking of kids, one of my favorite things about kids, and, and this applies especially the younger they are, is that they do not yet understand that social boundaries exist, uh, that they don't know what lines not to cross, if you know what I'm saying. Um, they will say things that are so honest, so blunt, and at times so hurtful, um, that if an adult said it, it'd get you smacked, you know, but because it's coming from these sweet, cute little faces, we're just like, ah, we just kind of let it slide, um, because they don't know any better. Um, Kids will ask questions that an adult would want to ask, but would never dare to. Um, It's not that they are thinking of things that we're not thinking of. It's just that they are willing to say the things we're not willing to say, Um, and this is one of the reasons why no one knows more about you than your kids' preschool or kindergarten teachers. They know the deepest, darkest secrets of your life. And they do not tell anyone because they're the unsung heroes of our society. Kindergarten and preschool teachers could bury any single one of us at any point in time if they wanted to. Um, and if you don't think that's true, if you're just now realizing that, you go ask them, what kind of things do you learn on a, from your kids in a given school year? And you will hear horribly embarrassing things. I love talking uh, to our kids' preschool teachers about this. One of my favorite things, and they wouldn't ever tell, wouldn't ever tell names or anything like that, um, but said, oh, yeah, we had one kid that said, you know, my mommy has to help my dad shave his back in the shower. And then it's like, it's like and then your, your parents come to pick that kid up that day, and you're like trying not to think of that when you're dropping them off, right? Um, but they, they, they do that. Kids say anything. And it's funny when you are an outside observer. It's funny when someone else's kid asks an embarrassing question of someone else. It's a little less fun when you get put in that equation somewhere. Like when somebody's kid asks you an embarrassing and blunt question. It's still usually not awful. You can kind of laugh it off and move along. But the worst place to be is the parent of the kid that's asking the embarrassing question. Because you feel like you're responsible for what's coming out of their mouth. And you feel like, you know, you should be embarrassed. You have, oh, I'm so sorry. And you've got to apologize and make up for it because it's your kid. And as adults, we've just learned that there are certain things we don't ask. There are certain topics we don't try to pry into when it comes to people's lives. That Certain things are just off limits. We've learned these social rules. Uh, well, today, we're going to get into one of those topics that a lot of people think is just off limits. It's something you do not talk about. Self-respecting people do not broach this topic. And it's off limits to a lot of people. And we're going to talk about money and giving. And somewhere along the way, money became one of those topics that a lot of people just feel like, we're not supposed to talk about it. You don't ask me about my stuff, I don't ask you about your stuff. We do not talk about money, politics, those are like the two off-the-table dinner conversations, right? Um, And so just talking about it, it comes with some baggage. Like it's got this thing that people just think, we don't talk about this. This is my private thing, you don't talk about it, you don't ask me questions, you don't give me advice about it, it's my thing, not your thing. So there's that baggage. But it comes with additional baggage when you bring the topic of money into church. Because we have seen so many examples of um, people who claim to be ministers of the gospel, um, who really just wanted to get rich and use other people to do it, Um, who wanted to use the good name of Jesus to 
get into people's bank accounts and wallets. Um, we have countless stories of TV preachers selling things and promising amazing results. You know, I've seen um, tiny vials of holy water. I've seen people selling uh, blessed hankies. And, you know, if you buy this, your life will change. God's blessing will come. You just got to pay me to 8 to $10 for 25 whatever it is, and this blessing can be delivered to your house via the post office. It'll be great. You should do this. And, it, you know, and then they will give sermons about serving the poor and meeting needs, all the while they're living in a mansion that's bigger than an amusement park. And so we've seen this stuff and the hypocrisy of it, and it bothers us. And so there's all this just kind of baggage that comes along when we try to talk about this. But regardless of how um, we've been raised to feel about talking about this stuff, regardless of how um, you feel from the bad, uh, regardless of the bad taste maybe you have in your mouth from seeing bad examples of Christians and how this has played out, um, if we are followers of Jesus, um, we have to talk about this. Um, because, again, if Jesus is the one you're following, he's the one you're shaping your life after, uh, the one you're modeling your behavior after, you cannot deny that Jesus talked about money a whole lot. Uh, he talked about money more than prayer, more than heaven, more than hell, uh, more than the classics like loving your neighbor and doing unto others as you would have them do unto you. He talked about money more than all of those things. And yet every single one of us would probably vote to hear a sermon on any of those over this. Um, but we can't deny Jesus had some important things to say about it, and there's a reason he talked about it so much. And one of the reasons is um, our hearts can get really out of whack when it comes to money, can get really messed up. Um, we are sinful people. We have a sinful flesh. We have disordered desires. We want things we should not want, or we want good things in the wrong way, and our disordered hearts cling to money more than a lot of other things. And so we talked about this a couple weeks ago, about how as believers we need to be uh, willing to do what is necessary to grow in our faith. And exploring this area is one of those things. Um, the flip side is, though, that when um, we work to keep our hearts fully committed to Jesus. Money becomes not one of those things that's scary and off-topic and we don't want to mention it and nobody can talk about it and help me. It becomes one of those things that you see as a tool, a blessing to help other people. It becomes this thing that's just another part of your life, another resource God has given you to live an outward-focused, service-minded life. It's all in how it's handled. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to include it as we're talking and finishing up this series today called Life on Mission. Uh, we are going to be looking at reasons why it's important to make intentional choices to be generous. Um, I think every Christian should not just rely on the happenstance of maybe being generous, but I think we should have a plan to be generous people. Um, people who hold our money and our stuff with an open hand. So it's not mine, it's not mine, and you can't touch it, it's all mine, don't you dare. But it's something that is open and saying, God, it's, you've given it into my life, and if you want me to use it to bless other people, you use it how you see fit. And so we hold it loosely and open-handed so that it can be used for the glory of God and the good of those around us. But before we get into this, it's important to talk about what I mean by giving. Before we get into the whys, it's, it's a little bit helpful to talk about the how. Because everybody's got a different idea of what generous means. And so when you look into the, into Scripture, does it ever say, like, does ever God just say, here's what you do, here's how you give, here's how much you should give, or anything like that? Well, if you start in the Old Testament, what God did for the Old Testament people of Israel was he gave them the rule of 10%. 
yikes, that's a lot. 10% is a lot. But they gave 10% of everything that they felt God gave into their life. They returned it back to God. Um, this included any money that came into their possession. They did this with their crops. Many of them were farmers. And they would take the first 10% of their crops and give it back to the temple. Um, so they did this with everything that came their way. They gave 10%. Um, and this was just a way of them kind of displaying to God, you are first in my life. You have the first of everything in my life. And they gave 10% back. Um, but when you jump into the New Testament, it gets a little less clear. There's not a number, 10%, to give. There's not a dollar amount, give this much. Um, it's never nice and clear cut like it was for those Old Testament Israelites. Um, in fact, the, the calling is just to be generous in the New Testament. But if you start like paying attention to Christian, specific Christians and stories of, of generosity in the New Testament, what you're going to see is those people were crazy, radically generous. And that they, many of them probably gave more than 10%. They were willing to do whatever they had to do to bless other people, to take away needs, to help those who were hurting. And, and so, uh, you know... 10% sounds scary, but then you go to the New Testament and you can say like, oh, it doesn't ever give me a number. Phew, that means I don't have to do 10%. But when you start paying attention, it actually starts to look like people were doing a lot more than that. And so if that idea of being that kind of radically generous absolutely terrifies you, um, hang with me. Because it's helpful to talk about the why first. Well, the, it's helpful to get into the why, I guess I should say. We already talked about the how. We should talk about the why. It, it, it adds some power to how you're going to do it and if you're going to do it. Um, and so we're going to talk about reasons why God has called us to be radically generous people. Um, because it really does matter why. He's, it's not just, you know, we don't give just to, you know, oh, if I give more money, then I'm a better person. And God must be more pleased with me. It's not just that. There's actual spiritual reasons behind why we are called to be generous people. Um, and so we're going to be in the New Testament letter of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians. We'll start in chapter 8. The Apostle Paul does a pretty long spiel on uh, just talking about an offering that has been taken for some Christians in Jerusalem who were really hurting, going through some famine and poverty. Um, he gives some teaching. He, he talks for the bulk of chapters 8 and 9 about this. We're not going to read all of that. We're going to grab a little bit at the beginning, and then we're going to jump down uh, to something at the end. But we'll start uh, chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. He says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord. Meaning, I didn't say, come on, cough up, guys. He didn't, like, put the squeeze on them or anything. He says, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. So Paul is writing this letter to Christians who lived in Corinth, Greece. He's writing to one church, and he's telling them about the Christians that are living in this other region of Macedonia and how crazy generous those Christians have been. Um, if you look in the New Testament, we have letters to the church at Philippi and letters to the church um, at Thessalonica. Those were churches that were in Macedonia. 
So he's saying, man, these Christians in these other churches, they have been so generous. I just got to tell you about it. I just got to tell you how awesome and faithful these guys have been. He says they've been a great example. That They wanted to help. They were begging to help. Nobody had to go in and say, come on now, you can do better. They just wanted to help. And he says it wasn't because they were so rich. He said their generosity actually came out of poverty. They were hurting themselves. But when they saw Christians or heard of Christians who were struggling more than they were, they said, well, we can help. Like, we have something to give. And he said they just gave and gave and gave. And they gave beyond what rationally made sense. He said they gave beyond their means. Now, in our you know, modern Western way of thinking, in our modern American minds, like, we, some, some of you are with me on this and some of you aren't, but um, some of you like a good budget and you like a nice spreadsheet and you like to see what comes in and what goes out. I can already tell you who's in and who's out. People are like, oh gosh, don't say spreadsheet. Um, but anyway, some of us like to know what's coming in and what's going out. And we all, even if you're not that kind of person, you have an idea of what is an irrational amount of money to give away given what you make and what you spend in your life. And he's saying they gave beyond what really made a lot of sense. They were willing to, to do without so that other people would not have to do without. And Paul is praising their radical generosity. And you read that, what could make them take such a crazy step? Well, he says in the next verse, And this, not as we expected, meaning we were surprised. The, lead, the guys who were taking this offering around, we were shocked by how much they gave. He says, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. So he says their generosity was really them wanting to submit their life into God's hands. And so the reason, the first reason why I think Christians should be generous givers is because giving generously puts more of our lives into God's hands. It says, God, I trust you with more of my life than uh, I have previously. Um, and if you've never thought about being like a percentage giver, and what I mean by that is you look at your income and you say, I want to give a percent. Um, maybe you want to pick 10 like the Old Testament Israelites did as a, as a starting point or what or as a goal to get to. If you've never thought about being a percentage giver, well, then learning that that's a thing and that some people give that much of their income away and that maybe God wants you to be radically generous, that can be kind of a scary thing. Um, and that's one of the reasons why money is one of the hardest areas of our life to give full control to God with. Um, because we can see, we can count the dollars that drift away. We can think, if I didn't give this away, here's all the things I could do. Here's all the extra stuff I could spend this money on. All the vacations, all the concerts, all the gadgets, all the gizmos, all the luxuries, all the fun I could buy myself if I chose not to be radically generous with what I have. And so money can be one of the toughest areas of our lives to actually say, God, I want to be faithful to you. And that's kind of the point here, is that it's often one of the last holdouts for people. They will be faithful and say, God, I want to serve you, I want to do this for you, but then they keep their income a little bit walled off and they say, you know, I don't want to give this away because it's so practical, I can count what goes away, and, and we put things like our control into money, our security, we base that in how much we have, and we like being in control. 
And so we'll give God, a, oh, yeah, I can give a little more time. I can serve here. I can do this there. Um, yeah, give God more trust and whatever. We can say we'll give God all these things. More faith. Yeah, God, I'll give you more faith. I'll trust. Yeah, we can say that stuff. But money, because it can be counted, is one of the places where we tend to hold the steering wheel the tightest and say, God, you can control every other part of my life, but not this. And Jesus, though, he wants to be Lord of your entire life. He wants to be the king of every aspect of who you are. He wants you to base every decision in your life on who he is and how he lives. And often, um, if I'm not giving Jesus my whole heart, it's because the things he's given me have my heart. I've fallen more in love with the blessings from him than I actually have with the one giving those blessings. And that's when it becomes difficult. When my heart belongs to money and stuff, um, when I, uh, I get stingy. And that's, um, I've said this before, that's kind of my natural default position in life. Um, that's kind of how I live. Um, I tend to be the kind of person who um, looks at every situation in life from a what's in it for me standpoint. Anybody else that way? Somebody asks you, hey, do you want to come to this thing? And you're like, okay. How much social energy and time am I going to have to give to this event? Um, you know, or you're, you start to think, well, that takes away from my plans of doing whatever, and this is what I wanted to do. This is what I thought would be fun, and so that's less fun. I want to do what I want to do. I just kind of approach life that way. I'm not saying it's right. My, boy, my wife is really enjoying this part. Uh, but, but that's just kind of how I approach, I mean, again, not the best way to do it. I'm just saying that's what's natural for a lot of us. And, and so when we approach life that way, again, certain things become hard, especially how we spend our money. And radical generosity says, I'm letting go of what I want to do, what I want, and, and, and money and stuff gives you the power to control what you want to do. And saying, I'm going to do less of me and more of what God wants me to do with my life. And when we have fully surrendered our lives to his, into his hands, it's when we can let go and give him control of everything, finances included. And that can be scary if you love control. It can be scary if you have rested too much of your life in security that money can get you. Um, and, and when you start to say, okay, I'm going to accept a little less of the security so that I can bless more people, that can be a scary thing to do. But giving generously, it's not some blind leap of faith. It's saying, man, God is so good. Why would I not give him more of my life? He can obviously be trusted. I want to give him more of me. And then Paul goes on. He says, accordingly, we urge Titus that, he, uh, that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in earnestness, in your love for, in, in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this, again, not as a command. Again, because in the New Testament, you don't find those hard and fast commands to give this much and do this a certain way. It's a little bit less direct than that. He says, not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty, so that you by his poverty might also become rich. And so Paul, again, he says there's no hard and fast command. He says, but giving is one of the best ways to, to reveal to you and to others that God has everything of you. Because, again, money is one of those last holdouts for when we're surrendering our life to Jesus. 
And so then he gives us the example. He says, following Jesus, it's, it's more about, it's less about the dollars and cents and the, what fits well in the budget, and it's more about just following Jesus. He says the, the less, it's less about budgets and bank accounts and more about just trying to model your life after Jesus. And so the second reason we give generously is to be like Jesus. That's simple enough. That's what we say. We're Christians. We're followers of Jesus, following in the direction he walks, doing what he does. We are followers of Jesus, and that makes sense that we would want to then be generous the way he is generous. Um, in trying to inspire these Christians to be more generous or to, and, or to celebrate their generosity, he points out that the person who was most generous to us is Jesus, that Jesus left us an amazing example of generosity and that he left the riches and glory of the heavenly realm to come into our world, which is much less glorious, much more dirty. And Jesus chose to be raised in utter poverty in a part of the world that at that point in time, did not get a lot of attention. It was not an impressive place to be born at that point. The Roman Empire thought Rome was the best place, and Israel was on the far edges of the Roman Empire, and they were an afterthought to these people. So he was born in nowhere, in the middle of nowhere. He was born with nothing, and he lived a life that ultimately led to him dying a criminal's death, a death that most people would mock and shame. And he did that. He gave up all of that, not because you and I deserved it, but because he saw our need. And he was compassionate. And he says they need hope. They need rescue. They need salvation. And Jesus gave and gave and gave and gave so that we might have our needs met by his grace and love. And one of the really just beautiful basics of the Christian faith is that over time, as we follow Jesus, that we should be kind of remade in the image of Jesus, that you and I start to look more and more like Jesus over time. And so Jesus is the best example of what a human can be. And because money is that, again, it's, you can count it. You can't count levels of faith like, I gave 18 units of faith to God, more than I had today. You can't do that. But you can count $18. You can count um, $180, you know, all of that. Because money is so measurable, it's so easy to keep this away from Jesus. And, and one of the ways, that we, or one of the reasons why we give, it's a way for us to get past that what's in it for me, me first perspective, and to say, no, I want to live my life like Jesus lived, outward. Not as somebody who came to be served and to be blessed and to be com made comfortable, but as somebody who exists to serve and to bless and to make others comfortable and to take away their needs. Um, and, and so the more generous we are, the, the more we're giving our life to Jesus and the more we're living like Jesus. Um, but again, I understand that this is a tough thing to do. Um, when we first came to Loami, I think it was about... A couple years after, maybe, about 2009, we did a, a Dave Ramsey Financial Peace University course, like church-wide, right? And the overwhelming thrust of that course is get out of debt so that ultimately, hopefully, you can just be a more generous person. Like, have less money tied up in, in stuff you probably don't need anyway so that you can have more money free to be a generous person to bless other people. That's the, I mean, and I think at that time it was like a 13-week course. So we spent a quarter of a year about being generous, right? About a month after we got done with that class, um, we walked into Best Buy and I talked to Abby into let, uh, 
I convinced Abby. It was not a natural choice on her part, but I convinced her that we needed to get a brand new flat screen TV, which at that point were like new, right? Like, and, and they, were, they were newer, so they were more expensive. And so, and you know, I must have done a great sales pitch because I've been trying to do the same thing for like the last three years saying we need a new TV because that TV we bought in 2009 is still per- perfectly functioning according to her. And, um, and so I was a better salesman then because I, I sold her on it. Um, and so we got, and so we, and we got like, uh, we went up and got the credit card and got debt and got payments for this TV that we didn't need. So I understand like how you can know what you should do and can still like just trip over your own feet and face plant really hard on something like this because we did it. And so I understand how that is, but it's not easy to do this stuff. And again, that's part of the point. It's those hardest steps are the things that we're holding on most tightly to and the things that, that we'll, we'll be most blessed by when we finally get our hands pried open and can let them be into God's hands. Because when we truly trust God with stuff, the anxiety can go away because the, the dollars and cents coming in matter much less than just knowing God's going to see me through. God's going to take care of me. And that when needs come, there's other ways that he can bless us and take care of us. And so... Verse 2, again, we give because we um, want to put more of our life into God's hands. And secondly, we want to be generous givers because that makes us like Jesus. But then Paul gives one, one um, extra point that is so ridiculously practical. Like it almost feels like it's unspiritual to talk about it a little bit. Like uh, I was typing this up and I was like, how can I make this not sound so bad? Because it does sound so uns- unspiritual. But let's go on. Uh, we're going to jump down to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 12. He says, for the ministry of this service, of this collecting this big offering for the Christians in Jerusalem, it, not, it is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. He says, this offering that's being taken, what it's going to do, it's going to meet the needs. Money in enables us to go over and meet the needs. These people are hurting. This money will help us ease that hurt. And so the third reason why we need to be generous people is because ministry often requires money. Not always, but sometimes to provide resources or meet needs or to travel where the needs are. Um, certain types of ministry often require income, require money. And so the money that we will give to our church, it will help people at the food pantry get food. Um, it will, um, which by the way, if you don't know, as of late, the last few months, They've seen a huge uptick in the people that come to them. There's a huge need at the food pantry right now. Um, and, and so money that is given here, we give to the food pantry. It's going to help families in our area who are struggling to put food on the table for themselves and their kids. It's going to help ease that need. Um, the money given here helps to go to build a Bible college in Myanmar so that there can be more people in this very anti-Christian country, hopefully sharing the gospel boldly and bravely. Um, the money given here, it's going to go to help plant churches in New England. Um, it's going to enable us to help people in our communities have uh, heat, electricity, and water stay on when they get behind on those bills because life uh, gave them a gut punch or something like that. Um, it's going to allow us to preach the gospel right here in our very own community. Uh, one of the clearest ways we can help live out the mission of God as individuals is by being generous people. There are certain needs that can only be met by providing tangible resources. Uh, you know, one of the things Christians are so fond of doing when we see somebody hurting is we'll say, I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you. 
And that's great, and we should be praying for people. That is absolutely a must. But I think at some point, God is saying, hey, instead of praying that someone would meet their needs, did you ever think that maybe you're talking to them right now so that you can reach into your back pocket, open your wallet, and hand them directly something that will meet their need? God's like, you're praying for me to work around and send somebody there. You're already there. I wonder, like sometimes how, if God is like, how can these people not get it? And we just say, I'll pray for you. And as, that's, as if that's our excuse to say, I don't have to do anything else. Because I honestly believe that most of the time we say, I'll pray for you, we don't even do that. And our culture is caught on to that, by the way. People, one of the most hated things you can say on the internet now is thoughts and prayers. People are like, stop it. Do something. And that's part of being the hands and feet of Jesus in our world, is so that we can actually meet the needs of people. And I wonder how often we're standing right beside somebody whose needs we could meet, and we just try to, again, the, the common thing we tell ourselves is, Somebody else will come and do this. It's not my job. It's somebody else's. And so we are called to be generous people. And often we see the generosity of Christians in the New Testament, and they are so generous that we read these passages and they're inspiring, but there's some sort of blockage that keeps us from thinking, wow, I want to be like that. And again, it's that, but I have to be like that. I'd have to pry my fingers off the steering wheel of control in my life. And we don't like to do that. We just don't. I like control. You like control. We all like control. It's how we are. Um, if, you don't, if you think you um, are not a control freak, teach a kid to drive. You sit in that passenger seat and you will never, you will, you will put a hole in that floorboard wishing there was a brake pedal on your side. We love control. We love it. And to let go of that is so difficult. But what we see in Scripture is Christians coming together, giving generously. And the main way they gave was to their church so that they could combine the forces. Like the strength of many people together can do more than you alone. Um, like you might not be able to add another family's utility bills to your monthly budget. That might be too much for you. But together we can do that. Uh, you may not, might not be able to show up and volunteer at a new church plant in Fairfield, Connecticut that needs some good volunteers, needs some extra help, but you can give to a church that can then help fund those church plants through one of our missions that we support that plants churches in New England. Uh, you might not be in a place to open your home to kids who, whose family are going through a crisis situation and they need a safe place to stay while mom and dad get life kind of more sorted out, but you can give to the church and we will bless Illini Christian Ministries to make sure that there's kids in our area who, when life is in crisis, they have a safe place, a loving place to stay. And so we give so that sometimes more ministry can be done. Sometimes it's just as simple and as practical as that. There are needs, and we have the resources to meet those needs, and God has called us to be generous, and our generosity can help. And so we give so that more can be done to connect people to Jesus, so that we can have the resources to invest in spiritual growth um, it, for people in our church and out, and so that, you know, there's enough given to make an impact in our communities and in our world for Jesus. So whether you've realized this or not, your financial life is a part of your spiritual life. It just is. Because in reality, there is no, like, spiritual life and non-spiritual life. There's just your life. And Jesus says, I want to lead all of it. I'm your Lord, your King, and I want to 
guide your life. And he's such a good Lord and King. He doesn't want to just be in control. He wants to lead us to what is best. He calls us to trust him with every part of our lives and the things that seem spiritual and meaningful and the things that seem ordinary and unimportant. Because one of the most common barriers uh, to us being generous is this idea that it's rude, it's off, it's, it, it's off limits, we can't talk about it, we can't broach the topic, we can't learn more about it. That, that's just an added barrier that we put in the way, which you can see Jesus clearly did not have that hesitation. He loved talking to people about this to help them see one of the greatest dangers that, that um, is posed to their heart, and it's the love of stuff and money. And giving generously, it's not only vital for a church to be on mission, but it's, it's vital for individual Christians to be on mission as well. And you just never know who might be blessed through your generosity. And you just you never know the, the, ch- the change that you might bring into someone's story. The, the Corinthians that were being asked to give in this moment, the Philippian churches that gave, uh, the Thessalonican church that gave, they, they didn't see the money. They didn't. I mean, traveling in the ancient world was tough. They weren't going to Jerusalem to see how it fed people and helped people. They just trusted that God's got this, God's going to take care of this and do more things through it than I could do for myself. So you never know who might be blessed through your generosity. And so I hope that God will continue to guide us um, through the Spirit to continue to be faithful in this area so that we don't put our hope on ourselves, we don't get hung up on being in control or finding security in money, but that we put our trust in Jesus so that we can go out into this world and show the overwhelming generosity of Jesus by how we give, by modeling his generosity to us, generosity to us by how we're generous to other people so that our church can play a part in helping meet the needs around us. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for these commands. I know they're kind of difficult for us in our Uh, modern way of thinking to hear sometimes. Um, Hopefully that's getting less so over time. Hopefully as Christians we're more comfortable with um, giving you control and and the the, uh, permission to speak into any area of our life. Um, But even these things that are tough, um, they help reveal to us who we are and who we need to be. And you've called us to be people who are generous who think more about others than we do about ourselves. And that's really hard in a culture that just tells us to think about ourselves all the time, to worry about ourselves all the time. And even in a season of uh, just when the the way the economic situation is where we live, it can make us even more scared um, as we put more hope and trust and security in our money and our stuff. Um, But I pray that we would be people who know to trust you, who can be wise, who can be kind, who can be selfless, and that we can handle what you've given us wisely and, and kindly and open-handed um, so that we can be a blessing to the people around us. Um, because ultimately, uh, our income and our stuff, it's just another tool to help the world know you. It's just another way that we can help the world see and feel your radical generosity. That when we were, uh, though you were rich, you became poor, so that we who were poor might become rich. And so we thank you for that. And I pray that we never stop thinking of your amazing generosity for us, God, um, and wanting to pattern our life uh, after you.